everyone. This is Stephanie Krubsack with Person and Planet Podcast. With me today, I have Jennifer Bulger Roseta, who attended Marquette University, where she graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1993 with a major in history and minors in chemistry, English, and French. After a short time working in several healthcare research related positions in Chicago, Portland, and Oregon, Miss Bulger Roseta returned in her to her roots in Milwaukee and attended Marquette University, this time in law school, where she received her law degree in 2000. After 15 years of practicing environmental law at several reputable firms in Milwaukee, including being shareholder and co-chair of a successful and busy environmental legal department, Bolger Berseda decided to change course and leave her private practice and start a new chapter in her career as the executive director of Milwaukee Riverkeeper. Over the past eight years, she has served as the chief executive officer, including chief ambassador, fundraiser, and leader of this highly respected science-based environmental advocacy organization. She has grown the board of directors from a reporting entity to strategic think tank and believes strongly that working collaboratively with local, state, and regional and national partners in advancement of mission is critical to its success. During her tenure, Milwaukee Riverkeeper's annual budget and the staff have both doubled, all while meeting financial and organizational goals. For the last eight years, Jennifer has worked to coordinate and push forward a generational opportunity aimed at removing legacy contamination in Milwaukee area waterways called the Area of Concern. She also led a statewide regional coalition focused on ensuring that the implementation of the Great Lakes Compact is in keeping with sound management principles, conservation mandates, public engagement, best available science, and the spirit and intent of the law. As a strategic thinker, she worked tirelessly towards successful removal of the Estabrook Dam, not only saving taxpayer dollars, but also taking a generational opportunity to improve an important area of the Milwaukee River. Jennifer's expertise in environmental law has brought her before many governmental agencies to speak on a variety of environmental and water-related matters. Jennifer has been an active and environmental charitable and service organization since before her undergraduate days and has always strived to be an advocate for the environment. She has an avid interest in different water activities, including swimming, hiking, canoeing, boating, and water skiing. She wants to see Milwaukee thrive and truly become a water-centric and healthy community. So thanks so much for being here today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I felt the need to read your entire bio because there's so many great bits of information and just so listeners get a really good idea of your very extensive background. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So maybe let's get started talking a bit about your background working in environmental law. Yeah, um, so I um, uh, graduated in 2000 from Marquette University, as my bio said, and I started practicing law. I, um, like a lot of lawyers, uh, you know, did have a bit of a general practice for for a period of time, but always really tried to concentrate on the environmental issues. And, you know, it really ranged throughout my career. I represented... um, big companies, you know, Fortune 50 companies, um, smaller businesses. I represented individuals and plaintiffs who were um, trying to, you know, enforce their own rights. Um, I worked on 
con, you know, contractual deals to deal, you know, when you, when you buy property or you have property, sometimes environmental issues pop up and you need to, um, uh, kind of define and insulate liability issues. So I dealt with that quite a bit. Um, uh, yeah, I had a really, uh, worked on a really a different, quite a bit of different uh, matters in my environmental practice. And I really enjoyed it. I had great clients, great attorneys that I worked with, um, you know, made lifelong friendships and, and had a really wonderful, wonderful time during that 15 years. Very, very cool. I know we mentioned earlier that um, we were both history majors and um, I also attended law school, but I did not practice, but <laughs> that's a really great yeah. thing in common. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um, in your bio, I saw that you helped remove the Estabrook Dam. And interestingly, two summers ago, I was able to kayak around it now where you can easily portage and keep going. So maybe tell listeners a bit about how that works and how that affected um the environment as well. Yeah, that is um, just a really amazing story from a lot of different, uh, you know, places. Um, when I started at Milwaukee Riverkeeper in uh, 2014, so after practicing law for 15 years, I left. Um, I was on the board of several environmental nonprofits, Urban Ecology Center, and Milwaukee Riverkeeper. And um, the prior executive director at Riverkeeper was a lawyer as well. And, and I knew her well from just, you know, working in environmental law in, in Milwaukee. And um, she had started the, the, the work to really remove the Osterbrook Dam, um, you know, by uh, trying to basically enforce the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources um, orders against the county. So the county was responsible for the dam and it had gone into disrepair. It was, you know, a lot of deferred maintenance from Milwaukee County. They couldn't afford to keep it up. It's a really, it was a very complicated, uh, big structure that was built in the, in the thirties as part of the conservation core initiative. Um, it had three parts. It had a beautiful spillway, um, and some other, uh, uh, aspects to it. And, and, and it was expensive to maintain for a variety of reasons. Um, sediment would build up in front of the dam. Um, and, you know, you can't really uh, use that impoundment is what they call above the dam. Um, and uh, they, it had a gated section that had electrical metal gates that would go up and down that needed to be maintained. Um, it had some concrete structures, like I said. So it was a very um, interesting dam structure. All dams are, are different. And it had fallen into disrepair. And Karen Shapiro, the prior executive director, brought a nuisance claim, um, which is a, a legal theory um, that the dam is causing uh, problems to public health and safety um, in its current state. And the, and the county was not maintaining it. And the DNR, the Department of Natural Resources, had ordered the county to do something about it, to re repair or abandon the dam. And they couldn't get the money um, to deal with it. So that was about a 10-year lag where they were just sort of sitting on this order and not doing anything. So Karen brought this lawsuit. And um, when I joined Riverkeeper, I took it over. I brought in additional four lawsuits. Ooh. And um, eventually, 
uh, we worked, we had a massive civic campaign effort and we worked with a lot of different agencies, um, the city and uh, MMSD, Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage District, who's the floodplain manager of the Milwaukee River System to eventually have um, to get the dam out. And so it, it was a very um, long, drawn out, uh, complicated process, but at the end of the day, it, um, it was the right thing to do for the environment, for taxpayer dollars. Um, and now the river, we're working um, to, you know, let the river restore itself and figure out where it wants to go. And um, we're working on fish passage projects there and above the dam as well. And so um, it really, it really was a great generational opportunity and a good thing for the, for the mm -hmm. river and, and, and our community. Very, very great. Um, and maybe tell listeners a bit about maybe the the history of the Milwaukee River, maybe some of the pollution, some of the efforts that the Riverkeeper, Milwaukee Riverkeeper is doing. Sure. Yeah. So the Milwaukee River Basin is um, big. It's over 900 river miles that, um, you know, meander and snake throughout our communities. It starts up in Fond du Lac at, um, the headwaters are at Mothy Lake and, um, it goes, um, all the way down to the harbor and a little bit south of there. It's made up of three rivers, the Kinnikinnik, the Monominy, and the Milwaukee. The Kinnikinnik is very small, and it's probably one of the most impaired uh, rivers in the country. It's uh, mostly a concrete channelized bottom, and it's been, um, uh, you know, it's been put underground. Um, so a lot of the river sort of is kind of almost like a storm ditch. Um, the Menominee River is uh, the second uh, sized river in the basin, and that is um, uh, has some different tributaries and, um, it has some agricultural and residential and natural areas as well as very urban areas downtown. And then the Milwaukee river is the biggest of the three. And that, um, is similar to the Menominee, but it has a lot more, uh, natural areas and, and other branches, Cedar Creek and the East West branch and the South branch. And they all converge um, together. The three of them meet um, uh, in, the, in the estuary, in the harbor. Um, the confluence is really right where, um, I'm trying to like kind of the ale house, if you guys know, if your listeners are familiar, it's right about there where the three rivers come together and then they connect to, the, to Lake Michigan. And they really do flow back and forth. Um, and the, we, it's called a seiche. It's, it's almost like a tide where the lake kind of sloshes into the rivers and the rivers kind of slosh back into the lake. If you think of a bathtub, that's kind of the best way to think of the flow um, between the lake and the rivers. And, you know, our Lake Michigan is... Our drinking water source for over um, almost a million and a half people in the Milwaukee area and over 40 million people in the Great Lakes area. We all rely on the Great Lakes for water, for drinking water. So our river system really is important. It is uh, the lifeblood of our community in so many different ways. So um, 
you know, and I, I guess the last thing, just a little bit more about our river and our watershed, you know, because it is so big and so diverse, we face all kinds of challenges. So we have um, very urban dense areas, like I was explaining, we have agriculture, we have, um, you know, a lot of development in the floodplains, which causes issues. Um, and then we have some beautiful natural spaces that we work to restore and preserve and protect. Um, the Kettle Moraine is just a wonderful space in the Milwaukee area, and um, it's that's part of our river system. So, so we have we have everything, um, and so it's a big, complex river system. And Milwaukee Riverkeeper works in the entire basin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's quite a large area, <laughs> I will say. I've kayaked down different sections of those rivers. So maybe talk a little bit more about how Milwaukee Riverkeeper describes itself as a science-based advocacy organization. Sure, sure. So we are uh, a science-based advocacy organization, and those two words are um, really define our mission and, and our goals. We um use science and data and information to advocate for, you know, policies and decisions that include um, the river and the watershed and the environment. Um, So that's pretty broad um, and it can take a lot of different forms. A good example of it um, and probably our best example is the water quality monitoring program that we run We have over a hundred volunteers that go out into the rivers and collect data about the rivers and the watershed almost all year long. Even in the winter, we have folks going Mm -hmm. out um, and they collect data on turbidity and oxygen and temperature and phosphorus and bacteria and um, all kinds of different things that they monitor for. We even monitor flow put a little tennis ball and look at the flow of the um of the water and so we we train volunteers they go out from about um, may through october and then again um, we do some road salt monitoring in the winter um because road salt is a is a challenge here in milwaukee i can talk about that a little later if you'd like but um the, uh, uh, we take that data, we combine it with data from Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage District and the Department of Natural Resources, and then we publish a report card and we tell people um, what the grades are for the different uh, categories and um, people can see where they live and exactly what's going on in the river. We share it with electeds and decision makers in town and um, we use it to um, advocate for policies and changes and decisions and um, and just try to get the grade to move and to improve and to move that needle a little bit so that we have a healthier uh, environment. Yeah, that's really great. Um, maybe share too, what is the current state of this river basin, um, like health-wise? And, and I'm sure it changes seasonally too with runoff and things. Yeah, it does. And we, so the way it works, we don't have um, sort of continuous real-time data that we publish. We publish the prior year's information. So people go out and collect data for the year, and then we publish the report card for the prior year. So right now we have volunteers who are collecting data for us for next year's report card. 
Um, but we're also working on last year's report card. So, and um, the reason it takes so long is because we do combine it with data and it's annual based data and we have to wait to get that data until January or February. Um, so, but at any rate, it still is useful information. So I think last year the, the grade was a C minus, which was actually a bit of an improvement um, but it was a pretty wet year, and so when you have um, a lot of water, it can dilute uh, levels. It was also COVID, so we didn't have as many data hits and as many monitors out there. Um, we did continue our monitoring program. In my opinion, it was pretty robust considering the global pandemic. Um, so um, the the you know we. The big issues for our watershed almost always are phosphorus, bacteria, and then, um, you know, usually it's sediment as well. And those issues are, um, you know, they're just, they're hard to move the needle on in some areas because with phosphorus, we just have a lot of runoff, like you mentioned, where people put fertilizer down, um, golf courses, agriculture, um, and if they put it down right before a rain, that's going to run off and our storm drains, um, you know, either go directly into the river or they're combined and we still have phosphorus issues, um, with some of the, the treatments. And then, you know, bacteria loading is, is similar as well. Runoff causes a lot of the issues that we have. So we have a lot of impervious pavement, which just means we have massive parking lots, sidewalks, roads. And all of that moves water away from where it falls. <clears throat> and the best thing for the environment is to let water, especially here in Wisconsin, where we have so much water, we get a lot of rain. We're really lucky. Um, and, um, you know, that needs to, there's a reason that our climate and our environment has so much rain and that needs to fall and sit and soak into the ground. And when it runs off, it, it, carries pollutant loads is what we call them a load of pollution into the river um so those are usually the big the big issues that we see every year um, we usually do pretty well with temperature we usually do pretty well with oxygen levels despite bacteria and phosphorus um, you know usually those cause oxygen levels to go down sometimes we see low, low oxygen levels um, so it, it just depends. Um, it depends on the river reach and, and what is there, um, you know, what is in that area that's potentially causing an issue um, for the river. Okay. In addition to the testing, what are some of the other ways listeners could get involved if they want to help clean up our waterways in Wisconsin or maybe where they're located too? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yes, absolutely. Great question. Um, well, there's so many different things they can do. Um, one of our um, our other big uh, program areas and, and events that we run, and you participated this year, and I know you're doing a lot with, um, you know, Women Who Kayak, which is just a wonderful uh, community building uh, initiative that you're you're running, which is just fabulous. Um it pairs so well with so many of the things that Milwaukee Riverkeeper is trying to do, connect people to the river and clean it up. So anyway, the biggest, the, one of our big events is, um, is our cleanup. We do a, 
um, an annual river cleanup every year. It's one of the largest volunteer events in the state of Wisconsin. We bring over 4,000 people out in one day and they remove over 100,000 pounds of trash. And that number keeps going up, not only the volunteers, but also the number of, uh, you know, pounds of trash that we remove. Um, so that's not a great statistic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's great that people are out there doing their thing and helping, but the fact that the, the, the flow of trash and nuisance pollution that's running into our watersheds is increasing is not great. Um, we... Uh, we love that event and we've, you know, from that we've, we've put into place an adopter river program so that people can clean up the river all year long and really focus on an area of river. Um, we even have some people who have cleaned up their river stretch that they're starting to do other things like invasives removal and, um, you know, some tree plantings and things like that, which is wonderful. Um, <clears throat> we also do a, um, you know, because this flow of, of pollution is kind of never ending with um, trash getting blown and flowing into our watersheds, um, we have a, uh, we are trying to lead a plastic-free MKE, plastic-free Milwaukee um, coalition. And that is to really try to stop and curb the flow of trash and the creation of trash in the beginning. Um, you know, geographically, our watersheds are set up so that whatever is on land will eventually flow to the rivers and the watersheds and the lakes. I mean, that's just the way the geography of the earth was created. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. We want, you know, water to flow into the rivers. Um, and, um, but with that comes trash. So the wind and, and the rain and everything, it just, the storm drains, trash finds its way into our watersheds. So um, really trying to stop that flow of trash is critical. And that is a much larger issue to tackle. Um, that involves changing systems and changing you know, it, it involves grassroots and I like to say grass tops too. It really is going to involve some, you know, some larger, um, some larger efforts too. I think it's so great that your organization facilitates all of these citywide cleanups and not just the annual, but really any time of year. Um, I know I started three years ago volunteering with your organization. It was actually snowing that April. So we were supposed to do a paddle cleanup um, from the Milwaukee Rowing um, Club's boathouse there. But because of the snow, we decided to do a land cleanup, which is, is really fine. It gives everybody an option. Um, but sometimes the benefit of a kayak is that if it's in a place you can't reach on land, is really great that if you're out there on a boat, you can really – capture some of these, um, this trash that you can't otherwise. Um, but this past year we had yeah. a group of 11 of us, each with our own kayak and we had one, um, motorboat canoe. We each pulled a large bag of trash. Plus some had two, they went back for another. So that was really, um, I mean, yeah, so a lot of trash, but good that we were able to collect that much and yeah, attend yeah. the Rock the Green event after. And it's just really nice to get the whole community involved and in seeing so many people out there organizing. I know we have another cleanup for the Adopt the River program coming up soon. And yeah, it's great seeing emails coming in. 
of everyone interested um, from women who kayak, they want to join and some have boats, some don't, but it's really great that there's both options. And I should also mention, I really love how you provide the cleaning materials where, you know, you, you're picking up trash, you have the, the proper protection, you know, gloves, bags, also the little grabbers to pick it up too. So I think it's so nice that you facilitate all of that and then help work with a location to deposit the trash too is so nice. Yeah, yeah, we we provide the bags and gloves and all that. And, um, you know, we do a lot of work with companies who want to do um, employee engagement uh, projects, and we'll do um, talks to their um, to their teams as well. Um, I remember that year of the snowy cleanup, that was a very stressful year for us trying to decide if we should do the cleanup. It snowed a couple of inches like two days before, um, but but it is, and, and I appreciate you uh, explaining that it is, it really is a land-based cleanup. We get, you know, um, in the parks and, and in the river systems there, you can go in a boat, but that is not the primary way that people clean up the river it is mostly land-based um and you know your participation has been a lot of fun so yeah it's been it's been so great and I think the the adopt the river program is so nice too because with that you're required to twice a year at least host a cleanup and it's so nice it just encourages to really centralize on one location that you're I guess, feel responsible for, for the year, which is really great, whether it's on land or via a boat to, to keep that section clean, which is so nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I should mention too, for listeners that are not in Wisconsin um, that can't participate in those events, I would just encourage everyone, anytime you're on the water or by a lake or by a river, have an extra trash bag with you. You can pick it up as you go. So if you leave the place a little bit better than when you got there, I think that's, you know, that's, it's not too difficult and everybody can do it. Yeah. I would say too, even if people are just out walking in their neighborhood or walking their dog, um, I usually carry a trash bag with me along with my poop bags. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I have two dogs. Um, and, um, you know, cause again, that, that trash you see on the side of the street eventually will get down to the river. It'll find its way there through wind or a storm drain, um, you know, most likely it'll get there. So the more we can beautify our communities, the better. Exactly. And even if the garbage was not thrown there intentionally, it could have blown out of a trash can or something. It's still everybody's responsibility, even if it, um, yeah, it wasn't intentional. Things can happen. It could tip over right. and blow around. And, um, right. Yep. Right. <laughs> so kind of back to your background a little bit. I know you've worked in environmental sector for very, very long. Was there a tipping point or a specific event that really wanted you to go this route in environmentalism and sustainability, or was it a combination of events? Um, you know, I would say that it was sort of the culmination of my life. I don't know that it was a specific event. Um, my mom was an environmentalist and a <clears throat> teacher naturalist. Um and my dad was a lawyer, so maybe you put those two together <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you get an environmental lawyer. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I, I actually was interested in medical school, to, you know, for quite some time. Um, <clears throat> and I, um, you know, eventually kind of through a crooked path, made my way uh, to law school. Um, but science has always been a, a 
just a something that I've loved. Um, you know, in high school, I took extra science and math classes and um, you know, that was before AP classes were <clears throat> so predominant. I mean, I took a couple of AP classes, but you know, there were only like three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can, <clears throat> I think now you can take an AP class in just about anything. Uh, <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of look back and think, you know, how did I get here? And I really feel like it had a lot, just a lot to do with, um, the the passion that both my parents created in me as a young child and what I really was interested in as a, you know, as I was growing up and, and moving towards college and in college, I, I just focused on science and, and I've always just believed in, in, um, health and, um, having, you know, a healthy place to live is important. So you know, I think that's probably how I got here. Yeah, it's all connected, really. <laughs> so what would you say is the main takeaway you'd want listeners to to know um, or learn from the efforts that you're doing? Um, you know, I think that um, I would love for people to really think about um, – getting more involved. Um, you know, it, we are, um, we try to be the voice of the river and we try to advocate for the watershed. Um, but we can't do it alone. And so that means that people need to help and get involved and that can take so many different forms. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that you need to, um, you know, leave your job and, and, start working for a nonprofit, but, um, you know, I think it's, I think it, it, it makes a difference, um, how you live, the choices you make, um, supporting the, um, you know, the people who are dedicating their, their time and talent to this, you know, the, the folks at Milwaukee Riverkeeper, the team that I have is one of the best, I have to say. Um, I feel really lucky. Um, we have, just a really talented group of people. Cheryl Nen is our river keeper, the resident river keeper. And um, she's been with us for almost 20 years and is just an incredible asset to the community, a wealth of knowledge. Um, and, um, you know, I've got Leah Holloway is our program manager. She's amazing. Annie Mahalski does our communications and, and both those two really work hard on civic engagement and and just getting people involved. And that's really important. We have such busy lives and, and it's hard to um, uh, get people's attention all the time. So, you know, I think that, um, uh, you know, if people can get more involved, that's great. You know, there's a lot of doomsday out there about climate change and the environment, and it is really critical and really important, but, um, I am a problem solver and I think that, um, you know, kind of getting stuck in a place of despair and negativity isn't going to help. So, um, you know, just trying to stay positive and, and getting involved as much as possible is really important. 
Yeah, that's a very good point because if we, you know, throw our arms up and say, well, we're doomed anyways, then that, that doesn't benefit anybody, doesn't meet any goals and doesn't make it better. So yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So are there any eco or sustainable rituals that you do daily or weekly that you'd encourage listeners to try? Um, that is a good question. I, you know, I try to do um, a lot of different things. Um, you know, I try to eliminate as much plastic from my life as I can. It's really hard. Um, consumers do not have choices right now without um, really taking on an additional burden, quite a few extra steps or spending a lot of money, <laughs> which makes it really hard. But there are things that, that you can do that add up. Um, you know, with the Plastic Free MKE, we have a pledge that people can take to try to eliminate some of the larger, you know, I'll say plastic violators. Um, plastic Free MKE is really focused on single-use plastics um, and eliminating those. Uh, the amount of petroleum, fossil fuels, that it, and energy that it takes to create single-use plastic um, and then dispose of single-use plastic. If you just look at the consumption and the disposal and the energy on both of those sides, um, it's pretty incredible how much it takes. And then the average use for single-use plastic is 12 seconds. Oh. So if you think about that, it's pretty wasteful. Um, so um, you know, grocery bags, reusable grocery bags, um, skipping the straw or using paper straws. Um, we're very respectful of the fact that the disabled, that doesn't necessarily work for them. So that's important to know that, you know, there are other um, available options. There are reusable straws, steel straws, um, silicone straws, um, uh, you know, plastic cups, um, just uh, plastic utensils. Um, those are some of the things that people can reduce a lot and reuse a lot. You'd be surprised. Um, you know, plastic utensils can be rewashed and reused. Um, so just trying to take some of those steps. Another thing that I really like to do um, is my husband and I try to plant one tree every year for our wedding anniversary. Oh, <laughs> Um, and I, you know, it probably should be more than that, but, um, trees are so critical and, you know, you kind of might think, well, what do trees have to do with water quality? And they have a lot to do mm -hmm. with water quality and water in general. Um, you know, they create shade, um, they prevent erosion, they stabilize riverbanks, they, um, create habitat, oxygen. Um, you know, we're looking at this hot, hot South, um, of Europe and, the United States and there's just wildfires everywhere and the fires are hotter and, um, you know, it's, there's the doomsday, right? Um, it gets yeah. harder every year, but I, I think that if you can, um, you know, if people can focus on trees, um, that's really important. And here locally, we have the Emerald Ash Borer, um, epidemic that's going around. So we've lost a lot of trees and there's a lot of dead trees that you just kind of see the, the stalks and the, the, the bare trunks of the trees um, and working to, to, to take those down and, and plant new trees um, and rebuild that shade canopy is really critical. Um, you know, I think 
you know, and, and it can be overwhelming. So I also think, um, you know, enjoying nature is also really important. I think that's, that's something that people can do that is critical. Um, it'll make you feel better. Um, it'll connect you to nature more, take a walk, take a hike, do a paddle, sit under a tree for 10 minutes a day. Um, you know, those are things that are important that rebuild not only your, your mental health, but it also rebuilds your connection and, and it can, it can empower you and empassion you to do more mm -hmm. tomorrow. Definitely. Those are all excellent tips. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> Back to um, Plastic Free Milwaukee, I know that they basically, I guess, certify in a sense or they have businesses that meet those standards. For example, a little plug for a favorite cafe of mine, Beerline Cafe along the river um, or nearby, they use all compostable yeah. or biodegradable utensils and bags for their takeaway, which I think is, is great. And yeah, as consumers, we are very limited to options and I was just thinking for Plastic Free July, for example, we almost need a prep for Plastic Free July in June because if, for example, you, let's say you ran out of toilet paper, you need it now. The stores nearby you, they only come in plastic. So you'd have to think ahead and plan and order it wrapped in paper or something biodegradable. It's not easy because, yeah, we don't always have the option. So it's very, very difficult to avoid it, I think, completely with today's products unless you plan ahead yes planning ahead is a bit and that was what i was kind of getting at too with the plastic epidemic in our world it you know to really make a difference you have to plan ahead you have to take on the burden um which isn't to say that we should just throw our hands up and say oh the systems are in place there's nothing we can do but it needs a larger effort too so issues like um plastics we need to have a grass move, grassroots movement that is demanding change, but then we also need to have a much higher level um, strategy in place that involves um, really like international treaties. So we're really going up to like a higher level of um, government involvement and worldwide involvement to really change these systems and put the burden back on the producers of plastics to manage them cradle to grave, which means from production to consumption to disposal. They need to be involved with the cradle to grave and not just the creation of them. So Yeah, and push to cradle to cradle, which means that they look at the full life cycle before they create a product because right. a lot of maybe consumers or companies maybe don't realize that mm -hmm. what they put out into the world, they're still responsible for in a sense. If the packaging they put it in right. is not recyclable or biodegradable it's it's there and they're creating the cradle to That's grave right. because it it's, it's trash like you said it has to come it has to come from higher up and as consumers we also don't have to beat ourselves up about using plastic sometimes because let's say you forget your reusable bottle you're thirsty okay it's a plastic water bottle it's okay that happens but I think to do the best we can to remember and plan ahead for these things that are reusable and not single use is, is what we can all aim for. Yeah, I don't think it does any good to beat up anybody who's already conscious of the issues mm -hmm. and trying to do, uh, you know, to do their best to make some change. Um, it just, it's, these these systems are complicated and they're, um, they're entrenched and, and it's gonna take some effort and, and, and we just have to keep, keep going. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> and organizations like Milwaukee Riverkeeper are doing good things. So I think if more of us support organizations like that, that's what we can do to, to help better um, our world, our environment. Um, so now for a fun question. Do you have a personal mantra or theme song that gets you into a good mindset or redirects <laughs> your mind to a good place? Oh, that is a good question. Well, I, I absolutely love music. Um, uh, so I don't know that I can actually pick a theme song and probably <laughs> changes all the time. And I, and I need that variety cause I just, I crave music. Um, you know, I think my motivation for the work that I do every day really comes from <clears throat> my son. Um, and that may sound a little corny, but you know, I, um, I, kind of wake up every day and, and I just want the world to be a better place. Um, you know, when I was younger, before I had my son, I think my motivation was, uh, you know, wanting, just seeing that things can be better and wanting, uh, a more healthy community. Um, and you know, that's, I just, I have a vision and I just want, to see that happen. Um, I want to see, you know, Milwaukee is a great city. There are so many wonderful things about the city and Wisconsin is an incredible state. And I've, you know, I've kind of lived around and, and other states are great too. But, um, you know, I, uh, I just, I want to, to be part of something that makes, makes this better for the next generation. And so a lot of the projects that I get to work on at, at Milwaukee Riverkeeper do that. The Asperg Dam, like you mentioned, was a generational opportunity. Um, you know, we're working on another generational opportunity called the Area of Concern, um, which is really getting, there's legacy contamination at the bottom of our river. You know, we were the machine shop of the world in the early 1900s and the rivers were used as part of that manufacturing process. And so there's a lot of um, industrial legacy contamination. And so we're working with a much larger collaboration and coalition of stakeholders here in Milwaukee, NGOs, businesses, agencies, people to really push this generational opportunity to remove that. Um, I always say, if you had toxic mold behind the walls in your house, would you paint or would you move, remove the mold first? And so that's kind of what this is. This is to really get at that, um, that stuff you can't see, but it's, it's causing problems. And, um, and then when that's done, then we can paint, then we can, you know, really do some cool projects and, and, uh, and not worry about them. Well, and, and hope that they'll be really successful. Um, so, um, you know, I kind of went away from your original question, but I think, you know, my motivation really is to make change. I want to see, I want to see some things change. Mm -hmm. so. No, that's perfect. That's good. <laughs> and are there any books or podcasts that you'd recommend for listeners? Um, yeah, there's a lot out there. Um, I have to say, I think for podcasts, I feel like that is really personal and people should, um, you know, find, there's so many to find and choose from, from funny to serious to educational. Um, and I think those are great. Um, you know, books, especially books about water. There's a lot of great books. We have a library at Milwaukee Riverkeeper. 
Um, and anybody's welcome to come and borrow a book. Um, you can just reach out and let us know. We'd be happy to share. But, um, you know, there's Seth Siegel is a great author. He's written a couple of books about water, Let There Be Water. That one is fascinating and really addresses a lot of issues around water scarcity, which those are not the water issues we face here in the um, uh, in, in the Midwest in Wisconsin. Those are really critical uh, desperate issues that the, the West and the Southwest are facing. And there's some great information in there about um, drip irrigation versus flood irrigation um, and uh, um, uh, what Israel has done to really deal with, um, with water and managing water. Um, the Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan is another fabulous book. It's actually a really easy read. He was a uh, investigative journalist for uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and wrote about um, the sort of muscle invasion that we have in the Great Lakes that some people may be familiar with. Um, but he really just talks about rivers, water systems and invasive species and, and issues there. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of like reading newspaper articles almost sort of compiled together. It's, it's, a, it's a quick read, in my opinion, and and well-read. Seth's books are also really, really uh, well, well-written as well. He wrote, he had a myriad career. Um, he wrote for Seinfeld and worked for Harley Davidson as a consultant and did some really cool stuff. Um, and he is this international renowned author. Um, he lives in New York, but he does have an office here in Milwaukee. So he has a connection to us, which is really cool. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there's, there's just, there's a lot of great books out there that I, that I could recommend. Um, and, and again, if anybody wants to, um, uh, borrow a book, uh, we've got some good ones. Perfect. Yeah. If you're in the Milwaukee area, they'll have to stop on by. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we'll have, um, yeah, links to some of those recommendations in the podcast notes too. And lastly, how can listeners reach you? Yeah, well, um, I hope people, if they want to get involved or learn more, um, they can go to our website, which is milwaukeeriverkeeper.org. Um, it's singular. It is not plural. So um, uh, there's that. We have Facebook. We have um, uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us there, and um, people can feel free to... Um, sign up for an event. We've got a, we've got movie screenings and book clubs that are virtual. We did shift a lot of our stuff to virtual. We have an education program. If there are any teachers out there who are looking for some help um, here in the Milwaukee area, we do have some uh, digital and virtual educational programs too that um, other people could uh, access who are not here in the Milwaukee area. Um, and, um, you know, we do paddle events um, and yeah, we just, we would love to stay connected and, and have people um, join us. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and informing listeners of all the ways they can help support waterways um, in Wisconsin and beyond. And thank you everybody for listening. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. And thanks for all you do for women who kayak. Thank you. Look into your eyes